All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rep by Rep Strength Podcast. And today, I'm excited to sit down with Coach Jason Roberson from Ball State University. And uh, this is a very exciting podcast for me because this is, uh, you know, first mentor I had, first person I learned anything from as far as human performance goes. Uh, so this goes all the way back to uh, sitting in Ball State Lecture Hall back in probably 2007. And uh, Coach Robe came in and uh, gave a description about, you know, what is sport performance? What does he do? What's his day to day? Who's he work with? And that was what that class started out doing was uh, bringing in all these professionals and talking about uh, the areas that, uh, that kind of bridge out from exercise science. So anyway, uh, that was the first time I met Coach Robe and then started going down to the varsity weight room and hanging out every day for the next three years, basically. So uh, anyway, Coach Robe, thanks for coming on. Uh, if you can go ahead and just give audience a little background about, you know, where you're from, philosophy. Et cetera. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Travis. Um, again, Jason Roberson. I'm the director of strength conditioning at Ball State University. I've been here now. Well, this is getting old. Um, 17 years. <laughs> I can't believe I've been in the game that long. But yeah, I've been here for 17 years. I really enjoy Ball State. It's a great school. Um, I have been, let's see, I've been mentoring now for 23 years. Um, we started, I had a couple of grad students at Drake University when I was there. And so I've been mentoring for quite a while. I've had a lot of amazingly intelligent students come through that I've gotten to work with. Travis, you're one of them, obviously. Um, and so it's been a, a long growing process and hopefully it continues. Yeah. And that was, that was one thing we were talking about right before we kicked off was, you know, I felt like from the moment I started down in the weight room, you know, not knowing anything about human performance, I felt mm -hmm. welcomed and, um, you know, like I couldn't ask a bad question, you know, I wasn't getting yelled at for asking a stupid question or whatever. Um, yeah. but there have been other places I've been, uh, where they, they're not nearly as welcoming. They don't want to teach. They don't want to, it's more of, we've always done it this way kind of mindset. Um, but you were saying how that you made your weight room like that by design. Can you go into that a yeah. little bit? Absolutely. So my mentors were Jim Romagna and Mike Cotterman. Uh, Jim Romagna owns Merge Performance in Dubuque, Iowa, and he also is a professor in the uh, University of Dubuque. And then Mike Cotter, the last I spoke with him, he was still at University of Wyoming, uh, which were, uh, ironically, Mike Mueller. Do you remember Mike Mueller? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mike was at Wyoming for a while, for, so they got to work together. Um, but those two were incredibly open and incredibly inviting uh, for learning situations. And so I knew that when I got out on my own, one of the biggest things I want to make sure I uh, offered was anybody that came to me that wanted to learn about strength conditioning, that I would be willing and able to teach them and, and work with them on that. Um, I, like I said, I, I don't always have the answers. I don't, I don't claim to always have the answers, but what I do say is I'm going to give you the best answer I have. And if I can't, if I don't know it, I'll look it up and I'll try to find it for you or we can work together and try to find it. Yeah. That was, that was one thing that, you know, uh, me and, uh, Brandon Van Mater were talking about recently was we wish that there was a microphone that recorded all of the conversations that we had in the weight room, you know, because the time I was there, we would get into good discussions about training and asking questions. And there was so much knowledge being dropped because of the people who would come through that were working on, you know, PhDs and masters and things of that nature at the time, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. you know, that would come through it was, you know, you have Mike Lawrence who 
was studying accommodating resistance with powerlifting. Mm-hmm. So I remember him running some experiments down the weight room and then Keith Suttle was doing some stuff with golf, I believe. And then yeah. uh, Andy Galpin was doing PhD work at the time. And, you know, so you just got a bunch of guys that were down there and I was trying to just be a sponge and soak everything up. But you and me both, man. I can't play. <laughs> uh, getting to be around guys like that is just amazing. Like, I, you know, I, I felt as much of a student as I did a, a mentor at times, obviously. And that's, that's the other thing is out of all the coaches I've talked to and places I've been and things I continue to learn, the things I learned in those three years were pretty much things I continue to return to, awesome. you know, and, uh, you know, everybody thinks there's something new and the grass is greener and all this other stuff. And it continues to come back to, you know, jump, do an Olympic lift, squat, deadlift, press, pull carry <laughs> you know uh it's simple yeah how you do those modalities and how you do them obviously is going to change i mean you know there's new equipment coming out but i mean uh i remember uh you remember dr pearson dave yeah. pearson? <laughs> so he he worked at ball state for a number of years um he and i had a discussion one time about uh when kettlebells first became popular again it was just probably like 2010 2012 and he's like i got all these kids coming to me saying how you know hey doc you ever heard of kettlebells and do you ever use them and stuff like that? And he's going, kettlebells have been around for like a hundred years. They're not new by any stretch of imagination. The training form isn't new. You know, uh, I, I've noticed now, like if you look at trends on Instagram or TikTok, stuff like that, and you see all these people, you know, using Indian clubs and doing the club <laughs> training. And that's like, you know, like this isn't new. Just that's, that's even older than kettlebells. So, well, I mean, yeah, they're just the one. Yeah. Cause like I had, you know, one of the firefighters I was working with this morning was asking me about kettlebells and, I think I've seen stuff dates back to Russian army was carrying yeah. those around, you know, and they yeah. were kind of boxy looking. Yeah. Um, and then the Indian maces and the, the Indian clubs, those go back even further, you know, I don't know. Cause I, I think I show people pictures of, you know, your weight room and, and what it looks like. And I saw similarities when I went to Michigan and saw their weight room, you know, it was, uh-huh. I think everybody thinks that it's going to be this very elaborate uh, setup with all these machines and all this stuff. And it comes down to, yeah, man, there's a really nice set of barbell barbells and bumpers. Yep. <laughs> Some dumbbells. <laughs> what else are we doing? You know? Yeah. I don't but, have uh, fancy. Equipment. Yeah. But I think the most fancy thing we have is we have tender units. And, yeah. Um, but, and, and even that it's like tender units aren't, they're not accurate by any stretch of imagination. And mm. anybody who says they're accurate, like be mindful of what you're saying. Now, <laughs> what they could be is consistent, right. you know, and consistency is probably more important than accuracy because nobody really knows what, what, you know, how many meters per second you're using under this load. Great. But as long as it consistently measures that, yeah. that's all that matters. Like that's the most important part, you know? And so I can tell somebody, you know, at hundred kilos, I need you to move at this many meters per second. Um, and so that's probably the fanciest piece of equipment we have, but it's, Again, that's, it's a necessity for me was because it took it off the coach's eye and your opinion and put it onto a, either you did or you didn't. Same thing with weightlifting. What I love about weightlifting, powerlifting, weightlifting, anything of that nature where it's like, okay, I need to squat 140 kilos. Did you do it? Yes. No. That's it. There's no, well, I kind of got it. I'm like, mm, no, there's no kind of. You didn't. Yeah. So that's. All right. So we're talking about, uh, did you stand up with a weight or did you not stand up with 140 kilos? That's it. 
yeah, it's a, it's a cut and dry thing. And yeah. so it just, it's a matter of like with weightlifting and even with strength period, like it's, it's all a matter of did you or did you not? And so uh, with the, when you were looking at training, um, I'm a big fan of saying, you know, say I want you to move this weight and I want you to move as fast as possible. Like that's so going back to the tender units. Mm-hmm. I can simply say, I need you to move this many meters per second. Um, if I'm just watching you move, I could be off by a lot. You know, mm-hmm. as far as my opinion goes, I could be off by a lot on what I think, how fast you're moving. And so I just needed something to measure the velocity or, you know, a guesstimate velocity of what you're doing. As long as that guesstimate is consistent, that's all I really need. Yeah. And that thing I really like, I remember, um, I want to say it was probably like 08, 09, maybe, um, mm-hmm. when we were using some Tendo units with some teams at Ball State was, um, you know, basically, hey, you can do these sets at this velocity, but once you lose, you know, 10% in two subsequent sets, we're going to cut it there or whatever. Um, yeah. And that seemed to work very well because it removed, frankly, it removed a lot of arguing. Yeah, you know, oh, like, absolutely athletes trying to you know argue their point it's like well hey did you do did you do your best cool well you've dropped off move on yeah um but i I was i saw even on twitter recently some people were arguing about tendo units or you know whatever other bar velocity measure tool you want to use but Mm -hmm. one camp was saying well you know you don't want to use those because it can people can get out of position and they're just using they're just focusing on the speed and um, I, I was like, okay, fine. But if you're a smart coach and you go about the sequencing appropriately, it should be a non-issue. They, sh- they should be educated enough to know what to do and not do. Um, but yeah, and I, I again, it's only a tool. You don't. It's yeah. not something you have to rely on. It's a okay. We're going for this objective. My objective today is about speed. I need you to move the barbell fast, or even even I need I need you to go big effort. I need heavy. You know, and so if you're moving a barbell at 0.9 meters per second, say we're just throwing this out there, you know, clearly that isn't heavy. And it's, it's a really fast illustration for me on a new athlete, younger athletes to say, okay, I need you to be at around 0.45 to 0.5. I want heavy. This is what we're going for. You know, and once they start realizing what it takes to push them that slow, you know, with big effort, obviously, you know, once they realize that I can take the tendos away, it's like, it's no longer a. Well, that feels heavy. If you've never been around, I mean, it's like RP. If you mm. if you've never really worked out, then I say, hey, I need you to give me a seven point five. Like, what the seven point five? What does that <laughs> even mean? You know. And so it's it's a easy way for me to to get kids to understand. Okay, this is what a heavy set feels like. This is what a a speed um, a heavy speed set feels like. This is what a speed set feels like. So it's not a this is definitely not one of those things where you have to have it on the bar all the time. And in fact, I, I don't use them year round. I'll use them for segments of training and mostly in the beginning of the year, just to get kids to understand what I'm asking them, you know, yeah. asking of them. And so, and then you just take them away and then they can do it. Uh, but one thing I do like for, to bring you back to me, it's is that athletes tend to be, they're not all, I'm not going to say all, not every, uh, but tend to be extroverts and they love that external stimulus of, you know, did I do it or did I not do it? And the box doesn't lie. I didn't say the box was accurate, but I didn't say the box was inconsistent either. And so if, they, if I say, I need you to move, you know, you can move as much weight as you want. You just have to move it at this many meters per second, you know? And so then all of a sudden you get that challenge, that feedback challenge of, oh, I think I could do more. I, I think I could do more. And so then 
you know, you find that 7.5 RPE, you know, through them understanding how to push harder because they're seeing what they are or are not doing. So they get, you think they get better at that over the years from freshman to senior? Oh, huge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So they're getting I mean, to the point where you don't even have to, to, you don't even have to um, use the tender units. Yeah. Yeah. You could say, you can say, Hey, this is the effort level I'm looking for. And you usually get it pretty close. Yeah. And that, that was a, um, you know, another story I remember from early, early time of when I was in the weight room with you was uh, mm-hmm. basketball team. That was <laughs> the basketball team at the time, you know, the sport coach came through and said, just pointed, pointed to each guy and was like, well, this guy needs bigger shoulders. This guy needs bigger leg, you know, no understanding of performance and what that means. Yeah. So can you break down what you, how you view performance? Obviously, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but it's, you're less concerned with aesthetics most likely, but what's your view on performance? How'd you define that, I guess? Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, let me start with this. Uh, having been a bodybuilder, I was a former bodybuilder. And in that time, so in high school and college, I ran, so my 40 time was around a four, five, four, four, five. Okay. So my fastest was four, four, five. My average was four, five. Easy. Any day of the week, jeans didn't matter. I could run a four, four, five. Um, Then I became a bodybuilder and all of a sudden that, uh, that speed went to four, seven and then four, eight and then four, nine. I got bigger and bigger and bigger, but I didn't get any faster, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, after bodybuilding, I got into weight, got back into weightlifting. I was a weightlifter in high school, got back into weightlifting. And then all of a sudden started watching those speeds come down and down and down. Um, coaches will come to you and they want kids to pass that eye test. They want kids to mm-hmm. look a certain way, you know, and it's the balance for me is one, if they don't, if they don't get what they're looking for, they're never going to trust me. You know, um, that is the biggest reason why I, I now let kids bench press. I let kids do curls. I let kids do, you know, just, you know, a lot of bodybuilding type movements, as long as it's not taking away from the power, the strength or the speed. And so for me, the matrix are, you know, if we're running, how fast are you running? Are you improving your time? If you're jumping, how high are you jumping? Are you improving your vert? Um, if it's, and I don't, I don't work with a lot of pure strength athletes other than say my, my throwers, I have a couple throwers. So I'm going to track team, you know, if, you know, are your distances getting farther with your throws, you know, and if they are, then great, we're on the right path. But if they're not, then we've got to reevaluate what we're doing. And so, uh, to, to quantify, and I know, I think I know the answer you're looking for and I'm just, I'm not, I'm not beating around the bush. I'm just, simply, <laughs> I'm letting you know that. In the weight room, we have set up these matrices. You have, you see max outboards, squat, bench, deadlift, you know, even cleans. I, you know, I love when, when coaches have cleans and snatch on there, stuff like that. But what I've seen is, is if you take a thousand athletes and you improve all thousand by 10%, all the, all their numbers, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a better athlete. Now they have a stronger body. They have a faster body. They have a more powerful body. But until they start carrying that over to the sport they're playing, then it really doesn't matter. You know, um, a, a kid that squats 500 pounds but still sits on the bench, what does that mean? What does that matter? You know, and so 
for me, the matrix is actually how well they're performing on the court or how well they're performing on the field or how well they're performing. If I was working with rowing in the boat, you know, it's, it's a matter of my training is based off the response and the feedback I get from my athletes. And I will change my training based on that. If a kid comes to me and says, so the men's volleyball, just use that example right now. Um, if a men's volleyball player comes to me and says, God, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm getting off the ground fast. You know, like I know my one rep max is high. My one rep vert is high, but in a match or in practice, I just don't feel like I'm getting very high. Like, okay. Then I need to change how many times you can jump and how many times you can jump, uh, well, does that make sense? And so instead of looking at just their max jump, I need to change how, you know, their, their, their repeatability. So their work capacity of jumping. And so I will change my training based on that. Now, if I were just looking at their vert and I got a kid that touches 12 feet, I look at that kid and say, no, you're touching 12 feet. You're obviously your jump is good. But his average vert, if I were to look at that and all of a sudden it's 11.6, that's not close. That's not even remotely close. You know, when you're in a, in a sport of volleyball where, you know, guys are averaging, you know, 11.8, Mm -hmm. 11.9, all of a sudden you're only jumping 11.6 in games. That's, that's a detriment to your ability to play. And so I really listen to feedback from my athletes and try to curtail my training towards that. Now, obviously, I've taken a great assault. There's kids that just do not like the weight room, and they will always tell you that the weight room is hurting them. But then you have to wait for the results. I have, I've had several track kids. So I love them to death. But I've had several track kids who will say, oh, my legs just feel heavy and sore. And this is in the fall. And, of course, they're going to feel that way. Um, then when I, I start backing down training, Backing off volume, not intensity. The intensity is pretty much high year round. Um, um, when I start backing off the volume, and they they their numbers start coming down, uh, their sprint sprint times start coming down. You are clearly doing better. You know mm-hmm. you can't. You know uh, you you have to take your opinion of the weight room out of the out of the question because you are clearly running faster than you were. And so I'm able to I'm able to help you produce more force to get down the track. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that, you know, kind of leading into something that's very popular right now that's been getting a lot of attention is monitoring fatigue. You know, how do you know what, how to adjust up, how to adjust down? And you'll see a lot of people doing the reactive strength index, uh, you know, vertical jump. Like, we're very, you know, with the population I work with, which is all tactical, um, mm. you know, I see 60 new bodies every six months. So okay. it's... <laughs> It's not as practical as I would like it to be as far as like, hey, let's everybody assess your vert with a just jump mat. But um, with certain populations, guys who are trying to uh, do special assignments or whatever, will get very in the weeds of using a just jump mat mm-hmm. uh, to, to monitor their fatigue day to day, week to week, and adjust up or down. But anyway, what are you using to make your adjustments? Um, coach Harrison does actually do that with her, with her teams, um, mostly your smaller teams. So women's volleyball and I think dive, uh, but when you have a team like softball walk in, you have 30 plus athletes to walk through the room, taking six just jump mats and having each kid do three jumps. So you can get an average, right? That's half your day, half your workout day. So you just lost a workout day. Um, so we don't do other teams, a lot of teams like that. Um, God, as much as I'd like to say that I'm doing it on a regular basis, uh, because I, I, I can, I can definitely see the benefits of it. The issue comes from the fact that one, we have very limited time. Um, I may only have two hours. My swim team, I have two hours a week. 
And if I take one, if I take, if I take a half hour out of each workout, that's now it's, I have one hour a week to, to actually get them stronger and, and, and produce more force, more, more power. So I don't do any monitoring of that nature. If I had more time, I would open that up. And I, cause I don't think it's a bad idea. I think it's a great idea, but I think with, with the time allotment that I have, I really got to be mindful of that. What I do um, is I talk to my athletes. I ask them questions. I inter- I engage with them to find out, you know, how are you feeling? How are the numbers going? I'm constantly monitoring performance. Um, so with my track kids, I'm always looking up their times. Are their times dropping? Are their times getting slower? Are they stagnated? You know, and if I see a kid that's getting slower, then I talk to them. Hey, how are you feeling? Or do you, do you feel overwhelmed? You know, um, uh, volleyball, same thing. I'm always asking, how are you feeling? How, how are things going for you? Uh, if they're going really well, then great. We can continue. Um, if they're, if, if they're uh, feeling sluggish or feeling like they're not moving well, then I'll back down on some of the volume. Again, I try to keep intensity relatively high. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, but with a uh, sport like swimming. So swimming is a, they do a true taper. Uh, the coach I work with does a true taper. And so it's about burying them. Like you've got to push them into that deficit in order to get that super compensation. And so these kids come to me and all this week, we taper about two weeks. And so every day this past week, it's, oh my God, my legs feel like death. And I'm like, yeah, unfortunately they're going to, you know, and for the next two weeks, they're going to feel worse and worse. But I promise you three weeks from now or four weeks from now, if you're a two week taper person, four weeks from now, you're going to feel like a million bucks. You're going to feel absolutely amazing. And so, Bear with me, eat and sleep, you know, um, which brings me to the reason why I, why it's a hard time adjusting workouts based on how athletes feel versus doing, even, even if you did adjust uh, a matrix of, uh, looking at their monitoring their vertical jump, I cannot, um, monitor and, or keep track of their sleep and eating. You know, I can ask them and I can talk to them about doing it, but I can't, you know, I can't go to the dorms or go to their apartment and say, Hey, it's uh, 10 o'clock. You got to go to bed. I need you to get, I need you to get six, eight hours of sleep, you know, and until we can do that, then all those things, and I'm, it'll end up being, you know, me cutting all of my training back to these two essential exercises, you know, and then how much am I leaving on the table by doing that? Mm-hmm. You know, and so sometimes like you kind of have to just bite down and, and push through things. And really talk to athletes about, hey, sleep is really, really important. Like, I know you're in college. I know you're in this, this, you know, twilight zone of I can party and I can go to class and I can play sports and I can do all these things and I feel invincible. But you're not, you know, the body is going to break down. Something's going to give, you know. And so if you're not eating right and you're not sleeping well, you know, you're, you're taking away from your performance, you know, and. I know it feels like the weight room is taking away from performance because it, you feel sore when you leave the weight room, you know, but the reality is if I weren't causing this stimulus, then you, you wouldn't recoup in the long run. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I know that sounds kind of self-righteous, didn't it? <laughs> no, you're <laughs> My job's so important, you know, um, <laughs> uh, that's not my intention. My intention was to say that like, um, they need the stimulus in order to continue uh, growing and getting stronger and getting more uh, and producing more power. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where there's so many variables out there that I wish we could control for that we can't. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, so when you're, when you're referring to intensity, 
how mm-hmm. and you're saying it's saying high year round or are you talking above 80 percent yes okay okay yeah i'll I, I would say i say between 80 and 90 percent every once in a while we'll push to above 90 um but i really try to keep my intensity uh, between 80 and 90 percent for all my sports for all my athletes um the i will do a weekly undulation of like say say around a um uh, an important event or, or important uh match or game or something like that we may we may back down a little bit for that, but I would rather curtail the volume versus curtailing mm-hmm. the intensity. So I'd rather I'd rather you come in and do three sets of, of 80, 85% as fast and as hard as you can versus going light, but still doing uh, you know, lots of reps. Yeah. You know, did they get anything out of it? Like the one thing I can control is is that that connection of force and speed. Yep. And that's that's one thing that um when I talk with folks about, about training and, you know, what sets and reps should look like and total tonnage and like all this stuff, you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, I remember a lot, seeing a lot on whiteboards for athletes at, at Ball State was, it would not be uncommon to see, Hey, we're going to do cleans for 15 sets of one, mm-hmm. you know, and people who have no background in training from either a coaching or a participant standpoint are going to say, Holy shit, 15 sets. but we're only talking 15 reps yeah. <laughs> as a, you know, as opposed to doing three sets of five or five yeah. sets of three is those are going to, each one of those going to produce a different adaptation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another thing would be, be common to see anywhere from three to 10 sets of one to three reps on squats or deadlifts mm-hmm. with dropping at the top or whatever. But, um, a lot of people just don't have the appropriate frame of what good training should look like. So, you know, so now we're talking about, we've defined training a little bit, talked about intensity, you know, you're talking above 80 to 90%. And then the volume, undulating the volume there. Uh, I remember having a discussion with you one time about volume within a session. And you said, well, 100, 100 total reps within a training session is a lot. You know, so that's like a lot, especially the way I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Might be considered, you know, you should be fatigued following that type of session. So when you say you're changing volumes throughout the week, how does that look? I mean, are you talking 30 total reps on a low volume day, 100 100 reps on a high volume day? How do you adjust that? All right. So since you've left, um, I've changed a few things. My workouts now look like this. Um, You walk in the room. uh, The first thing I do is movement prep. Like I'm simply... So right now I'm, I'm really trying to get kids to move their feet. I had a, uh, I worked with a golfer. She was a, a, a on the ball state staff two years ago, actually a team two years ago. Um, we were doing something and I just had her take her shoes off to, to do it. I just wanted to, to show her how her feet move. And she had zero ability to move her toes. Like she could not mentally move her toes. If I said, move any of your toes, I just need something. She's like, I can't. I cannot move my feet. I'm like, oh, that seems really bad. How can you, you know, uh, how can you adjust to the ground and swing a golf club at however many degrees of rotation per second when you can't balance perfectly on the ground by adjusting your foot? You she could go. So she actually was a pretty good golfer. Like that, so it was <laughs> mind blowing. She actually had the ability to do that. So um, my movement prep for all of my teams um, until I see that that. The athlete, the individual athlete becomes really good at it. Uh, my movement prep right now, ankle mobility, foot mobility. So we start with that. 
then we go to hip mobility, uh, hip and knee mobility. So those are the first first three or four things that we do with our athletes. Um, then I will do a uh, a power prep phase. So that's anything from like a box jump to jump rope, anything that just depending on what I'm doing that day, I'm really trying to get just those that uh, we're trying to get the nervous system really prepped for a heavy exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll come over to do cleans. Um, I generally like cleans as my first exercise. And I know there's a lot of coaches out there who like, shouldn't use the cleans. Uh, that's an, a, that's a sport. That's not a exercise. And you better like, be doing trap bar, jump shrugs and all this other stuff, right? Yeah. And I, I'm not, I'm actually not against those. Uh, yeah, my swim fine. team, uh, Dan and Cole, uh, Dan Cole and Chase, actually, we had a conversation a few months, uh, a few years ago, actually. Um, I was just taking over the swim team and, and I knew that at the time the swim coach was very anti-clean. Um, apparently he had a kid get hurt before I took him over. And so he was like, ah, no clean. I was like, okay, fine. And I was asking Cole and Dan and Chase about, you know, like, what can I do? And Dan brought up, he was like, why don't you start using trap bar jumps with the athletes? I was like, oh, it's a really good idea. Um, so I gave them the option. You can either do cleans or trap bar jumps. I talked the coach into doing cleans, by the way. Um, you can, you can do cleans or trap bar jumps. And it was funny. The first month, I bet I had 60, 40 trap bar jumps to cleans. The second month is about 50, 50. The third month is about 80, 20. And then it was somewhere around the third or fourth month that all of a sudden I only had two or three athletes that were using trap bar jumps. Yeah. You know, I can still think of them today. Um, almost all of them have switched over to cleans. And so, and what the kids are telling me is that they're faster off the blocks and faster off the walls. I'm like, that's why we do them. That's yeah. the only reason why we do them. You know, and so again, so I uh, go back to that. Uh, that's my third movement is cleans. I love doing cleans. Um, I like snatches, but the loads are higher in cleans. And so I can, I can push the body harder. So we'll do cleans. And then we will do our, um, our heavy, slow exercise, deadlifts, squats, things like that. Um, uh, lunges, uh, if I'm doing uh, uh, split, uh, isolateral type exercises uh, or split squats like that. Um, but I do that in that way because I've decided that we have all these accessory exercises that we do. You know, we try to fill this hour. And my thought was, when I saw that young golfer, was why am I not taking time to work on their ability to articulate their body, to use their body. Um, my men's golf team or men's volleyball team, they do the footwork, but they also do a lot of scat mobility. Mm-hmm. You know, their glenoid femoral rhythm was not nearly what I thought it would be for an athlete that swings their arm as fast as they do. Right. You know, and so we do a lot of scat mobility, getting these kids to protract, retract, elevate, depress, you know, um, has taken me months and months and months to do. And so we put all of that in there. And so I spend, I actually spend probably half my workout on just mobility and getting them to understand how to move their body well, you know? So we do all of that prior to lifting heavy. So by the time it comes down to it, I've only got time for three hard exercises, cleans, a lower body strength exercises, an upper body strength exercise, and then maybe some, um, if they have, so like my, my, uh, let's see. So my volleyball guys will do a lot of shoulder. My swimmers will do a lot of shoulder. So scat stability, um, the, beyond the mobility stuff. So then my strength work for that, for the scap and, 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 glenoid joint, glenoid humeral joint, 
uh, is at the end of the workout. I haven't finished with that. And so I don't do, I don't do nearly as many accessory exercises as I used to. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at, when you look at the total volume, so getting back to your question, sorry, that's yeah, very yeah. long. No, 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 that's good. That's I like that. The actual amount of work I do is probably half of what you remember. Okay. And so a heavy day, a heavy, uh, so high intensity, high volume day, which is, you know, rare, um, is still only maybe 50 reps total on the day. Yeah. And so it's not a, it's not a ton of volume. And so I'll tail that back to like 30 total reps of heavy, hard stuff, like above 80%, you know, and that's how I, I do my undulations right there. So now you can see why with, with as little volume as I'm giving them. And so, uh, I don't really need to, t- to cut back on the intensity because I don't do that much that I'm burying them. You know, I, I know a lot of coaches, they do, um, um, uh, uh, deload weeks. I don't do enough volume to necessarily need a deload week. I will listen to my athletes. So if my athletes come to me and say, man, I am just buried and they're not, they're not a swimmer, yeah. you know? So if my volleyball players come to, come to me and some of they're buried, I'm like, okay, we can, we can do a few different exercises to lay off that, to get your body feeling good again, you know, but as soon as you're feeling good, we're going to get right back into it. Simply because I don't do enough volume. Um, I am, if I had to describe it, I would say I'm just above minimal effective dose. <laughs> and what I find, and I, I'm, I'll be the first to admit that I know, I, I, I know there's some people out there that are like, oh, you're not getting anything out of minimal effective dose. And like, but I also don't hurt anybody. I can't control their sleep. I can't control their eating. And I cannot control how much partying they're doing. Mm-hmm. If you got kids that are out there drinking their brains out, you know, um, and then not sleeping and not eating, they're an injury waiting to happen. You know, and so if I push minimal effective dose, what I see every single year, year in, year out, is consistent improvement in all of my athletes, and I see minimal injuries in all my athletes. And so, how am I doing a bad job? I, I get it. I'm not making the best. You're absolutely right. I'm not making the best, but they're better today than they were yesterday, and they'll be mm-hmm. better tomorrow than they were today. You know, and so I feel like I'm doing my job quite well. Yeah. I'm not the best. Well, I mean, the the second word there says it all, right? Effective. So how much? Yeah how much above effective do you need to go? You know what I mean? Like, what's the point? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a, I, you know, last time I was back at ball state, um, what, I guess last year. Yeah. Uh, almost a year. Though, yeah. It was a year. But, um, you know, you, you took me through a uh, few things that I had had questions about. And one of them was, uh, the, the Hatfield split squat with a floating heel. And oh, you're telling me about how uh, you're having your track kids do that and the cleans. And that's effectively like the majority the bulk of their training right now. Oh, it's almost it. Yeah. And, and they're crushing PRs on a, on a regular basis. So I, I remember my leg has, or my legs had been, had not been that sore in a while. Uh, yeah. So I, I brought that one back to Washington with me and uh, I've had some guys doing it. They're reporting the same thing. I mean, like, their ankle mobility is improving. You know, they're, they're getting a new stimuli that they've never felt before and they're feeling better. <laughs> and, yeah. um, I don't know. It's just interesting because you see all this crap that gets pushed around on social media and everybody wants to try all this new stuff. And really it comes back to not being too far removed from the basics and getting really, really good at the basics and their close derivatives. Yeah. You know, so push something, pull something, pick up something heavy, <laughs> move something fast. Yeah. Well, well, I remember that's another combo that I remember as uh, 
you know, I, I came up to you when I was like probably a sophomore or something. And I was, Hey, what do you think of this training and blah, 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 blah. And you cut me off and you're like, well, does it have a press in there? Does it have a pulling movement? Does it have a squat? Yes, yes. And yes. Okay. It sounds like a great training program. That was before we even talked about like sets, reps, intensity and all that stuff. It's like, that's the well, point. Well, I mean, that's the point. Yes. No, sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's just, that's the point. It's like, you have the, the basic things you need and do them well. And yeah. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that, that was the other thing. We, and you and I were talking about was um, changing ranges of motion in season or out of season. And I think you're doing that more with basketball right now, right? So I, I don't work with basketball anymore, but I, I know okay. what you're saying. Okay. Um, so I, I've had this conversation. I remember having a Cole, and Cole gave me a look of, of absolute idiocy. Like he thought I was a, a, a giant idiot. <laughs> I'm not saying that you should never go full range of motion. I am clearly an advocate for full range of motion. I've always been. I will always be a full, uh, an advocate for full range of motion. What I'm, what I was saying, and what I am continuing to say is. So if I took a full squat, for me, um, a full squat is where your, your hamstrings cover your calves. So you're going mm-hmm. as full range of motion as possible. My full squat versus my quarter squat isn't even close to each other. Like what I can do a quarter squat at, what I can full squat at, isn't even remotely close to each other. But I, I don't play sports at my full squat position. I play sports at my, my quarter squat position. And then someone will say, you don't play sports at all, man. You're right. But athletes don't play sports at their full spot position. Athletes play squat, play sports at their quarter spot position. So shouldn't we train both? Like, shouldn't we optimally train their not their quarter squats as well as we train their full squat? You know, and what I saw was that's where that's where I was using the Hatfield split squat is you're never going to get down to a, a full 90 degree hip and uh, hip and knee angle on that. You're going to be somewhere slightly above that. You know, um, by doing that, now I'm actually making the range of motion that they play sports at as strong as it can be or, or closer to as strong as it can be. And, you know, that seems to just make sense to me. Like if, if, if I'm only doing full squats, am I leaving something on the table? You know, am I, am I, am I leaving uh, ability untouched or untapped? You know, mm-hmm. and so that's where I, I started saying that. I don't think we need to train full squat year round, or even if we do use the full squat as a mobility aspect of their training. And then the quarter squat as their actual strength training, you know, especially during in season times, I've also reported, uh, I've had kids report far less deep muscular soreness Mm -hmm. when we're doing quarter squats, you know, they, they come back and go, I feel more powerful. I feel like I'm stronger. I feel like I'm pushing, you know, I'm pushing better, but I just don't have that deep muscle soreness that, that bodybuilding, I'm air quoting bodybuilding muscle soreness, you know, um, and, and to me, that's a positive, like, wouldn't you agree? Is that a yeah. positive? Yeah. From a, you know, from a fatigue standpoint, um, you know, I was listening to, uh, Dr. Mike Isertel, uh, a few weeks back on, you know, one of the thousands of podcasts he's been on or whatever, but he's yeah. talking about stimulus to fatigue ratios and you have to look at, yes, something may be very stimulating. But at the same time, it may be very fatiguing to the system. So you have to take that into consideration. So with taller athletes, especially like if you're talking about volleyball or men's basketball or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. how much distance do they have to cover in a squat versus, you know, a five, six Olympic lifter, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, it's yeah. a totally, totally different ball game. So us little guys with T-Rex arms and T-Rex legs, we're fine. We're never, yeah. you know, like easy for us, but yeah, I work with guys that are six foot nine, you know, and it's not that they can't squat to full depth. They just, they just don't do it. Like I, if, if I'm not doing something and I'm going to rest, I actually sometimes just sit in a full squat just to watch my athletes. I'll sit on the, you know, sit and, and watch a, a clean or sit there and watch a, uh, if I'm looking for depth, I'll sit down and watch a squat, you know, that's a natural resting position for somebody my my size, my shortness, or shortness, my height. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, you know, and so those guys would never do that. None of my volleyball players would ever rest in a full squat. You know, right. they're going to try to find something tall to sit on. Now, and so I do use the full squat through for dynamic range of motion. And so we'll do a, like a goblet squat or a counterbalance squat. Usually those yep. guys, because they, they don't have a lot of uh, great proprioceptive this at the bottom of their squat but the more times i do it the better they'll get but i i don't spend all of my time loading the bottom of the squat i just don't you know uh, and i i have found that my kids are getting better they're jumping better they're feeling better they're moving better and so until somebody can point out here's here's your shortcoming and here's what you're you're not doing for your athletes and be accurate about it like people can say it all the time <laughs> hell i used to say it i mean i know when you were in the room I was a full squat or nothing person. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. I, was, I remember uh, it would have been like, so me and Cole kind of went through about the same time. And mm -hmm. I remember him and I, like it was our first month or two months with you maybe. And there was men's basketballs in there squatting and, you know, we didn't know what to look for. And you looked at me and you're like, did that dude hit full, full depth? I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then you looked and asked, Cole, did this, this guy on this end hit full depth? And he's like, I don't know, you know, but I mean, that's an example of how, how young we were as far as like knowing what to look for, what mm -hmm. qualifies to be a full squat. And then now looking at like tall guys, for example, there's a guy I'm training right now who's six, eight, he played professional basketball on multiple continents and mm -hmm. he, to get him to squat, I, I still use things that I learned early where, Hey, we're going to use a post and you're going to use your hands to walk you down into a depth and you're going to yeah. sit and hold that for a minute. And for him, it's a nightmare to, to squat, to squat right now. He's front squatting yeah, 90, 95 pounds. And he's, he hates, I know he hates it, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's necessary for his, his current situation. But uh, anyway, versus like the guy who trains directly across from him is five, 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 six, and he mm -hmm. can front squat or well, he can back squat 275. No problem. But, um, it's a whole different animal, you know? Yeah. So, um, but like you said, you still, you still get him to go through full range of motion. So you're yeah. utilizing full app, you know, ability of the joints, which is awesome. I think that's amazing. Um, but when it comes to performance, when it comes to life, like we, we rarely do life at the full spectrum of our joint mobility. You know, okay. uh, so um, you should be, you should have that available to you, but you, I don't, I don't think you have to maximally train it all the time. Right. Yeah. It can, you can vary the ranges, vary the load, how you load it, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that was a, uh, that was another thing that I wanted to touch on was the, the, the amount of focus you give nervous system you know, when, when athletes come in is I still 
use things with guys as far as not just jumping, but I look at, I look at their eyes. What are their eyes telling me? You know, what mm-hmm. are their palms saying? Are they excited to train? Are they not excited to train? Um, things like that as far as readiness goes for the session. Um, now, is that something you're still doing with your athletes as soon as they come in, trying to get an idea and gauge on? I do. I try to engage with all my athletes. They probably wonder why I talk to everyone. Like I try to get around and talk to everybody as they walk in the room. They're probably like, why is he so concerned with this? Um, but it's a matter of just getting close enough. I can see their eyes, see their pupils, see what's going on. You know, how facilitated are you? And it depends on the workout. If we're just doing, um, we'll do a lot of yoga in, in season. Like we'll do a mm-hmm. lot of really good mobility, yoga in season, getting these kids moving as well as possible for those i'm not really as concerned about it but when we're coming in we're doing 80 plus percent on uh, a clean in a back squat that day or clean in the deadlift that day you know i'm like you need to be facilitated you need to be ready to go you know mm-hmm. do i need to have all the lights turned back on do i have to have the music up a little bit more like what do i need to do to get your body dialed in and ready to go or your your mental state uh dialed in that ready to go you know and so yeah i still do the same thing yeah yeah that was a um a change I've made here is, uh, you know, we've got the facility that, that I'm at, we've got 13,000 square feet and it's whoever, whoever did the layout, (laughs) you know, did not lay it out understanding how performance should be laid out. You know, there's, it's, uh, so 13,000 square feet, there's, uh, 10 racks. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So that gives you an idea of like, um there's a lot of open floor space and then yeah probably half of that space half of the 13 is covered by machines and cardio pieces and stuff like that but um anyway there's these very very bright lights that are just absurd led lights Mm -hmm. and one of the first changes i made was Hey, we're going to kill the lights every day because we've got skylights that come in through the side. So it appears to be kind of like dark dungeon, like, you know, but we're just going with the, the natural rhythm of the sun, you know, oh, perfect. so that, yeah, yeah. so that'll lighten up. But what, what's been reported back to me is people hate the lights when they're on because they're just so overstimulating. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can actually lead to, you know, fatigue and things of that nature. So then when I turn them off, guys are like, Oh, thank God. I can, I can perform, you know, Mm -hmm. and I encourage guys to get these, you know, these glasses are just blue light filters, um, to help with, you know, neurological fatigue and stimulation and all that stuff. But, uh, it's all this little stuff that that people don't realize it affects them that adds. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, amazing. Yeah. You're dead on. I, I honestly think you're dead on. That's it's, there are so many minute details that if you can't control for, you know, uh, it's not that it's not that training's useless or like that, but I mean, there is a lot more to training than just picking something up and putting it down, you know, and, and, and for the longest time, that was my philosophy. Let's just get stronger. Let's get stronger. And I'm never going to say that stronger is stronger is bad. You know, I've never said, it, I, I don't think I've ever heard an athlete. If, if I have, please tell me, I don't <laughs> think I've ever heard an athlete say, Hey, coach, I am just too strong for this sport. I've never had that. And so, you know, uh, I'm not, it's not that I'm about not getting stronger, but I mean, there's so many other things that help kids get better. Like what you just talked about, if they can train in a state where they're not at the peak of their, uh, their, uh, uh, 
sympathetic nervous system, then they're not just mentally exhausted at the end of it. Maybe they can get more work out of it. Maybe they can, they can, you know, they're not, their cortisol levels aren't, you know, jack the roof all the time. Cortisol is a great thing for the body, but not all the time, you know, and with, with the amount of caffeine and the little amount of sleep the kids get and like, you know, and one of the things that, that I, I, I like in the room, but I don't like in the room is the music. Like it's always on 13, always on 13. And so uh, I like that you like, <laughs> yeah. just it's just so, you know, and for them, it's fine. But what they don't realize is that, you know, coach Harris and myself and coach Labrador are in that room all day with them. Mm-hmm. And so for what they get for an hour, that's nine, you know, eight, nine hours a day for me, you know? <laughs> and so it's a, uh, you know, that's got to push your cortisol levels to the roof. And so it's a, it's just a matter of, you know, utilizing what's available to do it, you know, to, to get them to be as best as possible can. And for you, that was turning lights off and actually using natural sunlight. For us, we turn half the lights off, you know, most yeah. of the time. I mean, the only time we turn them all on is if so, if, if a coach comes in, they're like, oh, why are the lights turned off? Turn them on. So we'll let the coach turn them on and because that's what they desire. But usually after that coach leaves, we might tend, turn them right back off and just have half the lights on again. Yeah. Um, you probably remember in the office, there's the lights are rarely on in the office. They're almost always off. There's enough ambient light coming in through the window that we don't need specific office lights. But there's also time we just got to get out of those lights and just be in a dimmer air environment, you know, to, to bring our bodies and our minds back down, you know, for getting ready for that next training session. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing we do is, um, you know, with talking about the music and whatnot is, uh, we try to, we just have one, one big speaker and we'll play music, whatever. I I don't care for the training session, but then towards the end of the training session, when everybody's done heavy lifting, we'll turn it on, we'll turn on Incubus or something like that, Pearl Jam, like something where we're just going to bring it down. And I'll explain to them up front so they know what the hell's going on. You know, it's fine to have that like spiked up and stuff, but we also need to come down out of that. Um, So we'll listen to Incubus and do some breathing to try to get in a, you know, parasympathetic state. But uh, that's a wonderful idea. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to steal that from you. (laughs) So (laughs) it's, uh, those are some things that we'll do with it. but yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the other thing that I, I remember. I don't remember a ton of yelling and screaming prior to a lift or people getting all like, hey, slap me in the face. Like it was never that. It was, no. hey, this dude's going to go over here and, you know, front squat 140 kilos and he's he's going to do whatever he needs to do mentally. But then he'll come back and hang out for a minute and then go back and do yeah. it again. Um, so I was, was that by, to him. by design? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, like I said, my mentors, uh, Jim and Mike, um, neither one of them were, were yellers. Um, how do I put this gently? <laughs> I was not always the brightest himself, still not the brightest uh, athlete. And so I got yelled at and cussed out and screamed at a lot. I remember um, <laughs> I remember coming in the into the locker room after practice one day, football practice from high school. and the freshmen were taking bets on the number of times I got yelled at in the practice. Like that's how often I got yelled at screamed at practice. And so I'm not saying that I, that you can't take it. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you can't be yelled at and, and, and still be productive and all that. That'd be clearly in the past it has. But what I have found is 
I enjoyed being in that environment. I loved the weight room. I loved sports. I loved football. I loved wrestling. You know, I enjoyed being in that environment. But what if I had hated it? Mm-hmm. And then now you have someone yelling at you and scream at you and cussing at you every single day. Every time you come in, yeah. this person is six inches deep in your bottom. You know, um, and so I decided that I didn't want to be that person. I didn't, I didn't want to be that rah, rah, you know, yelling and screaming, coach every single rep type person. Um, yeah. You know, I, I want to be a coach where you walk in the room, we have a conversation. Now, obviously, the music is loud. My, my, I have to speak loudly so you can hear me over the music. But I'm never yelling and screaming at an athlete or, or even at a team. Um, I, I want them to understand that, hey, come on in. Let's get warm. Let's get our body facilitated. Let's get ready to go. Uh, and let's get the work done at hand. Um, if I do happen to raise my voice, uh, this is something that Mandy has always made fun of me for. She's like, you can look angry and pissed off for one second and literally turn around, like literally just look the other way and you got a smile on your face and you're back to normal. I'm like, yeah, because I'm not actually mad about anything. You know, you just have to, you got to get over the music and then you have to get them to understand, you know, and uh, that now is the moment. Now is the moment of intensity and then mm-hmm. it's time to come back down. Once it's over, it's over. Right. You know, um, there were a few athletes that we had that we've slapped up, you know, uh, but it was always at their request. It was never, this is, this is our process. You know, this is always, Hey coach Rob, can you, can you get me fired up? I'm like, Oh, all right, here we go. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I've been you saving know, this for, yeah, yeah, I've been saving this one up, you know, and, and we understand something nervous system as far as like, uh, pain is a great way to get the body to, really excite itself you know it it's not the intention of hurting someone it's the intention of just a sting just a same thing with loud music same thing with lights you can do it all through varying processes but you know uh when when an athlete asks me hey you know just you know give me a give me a heart smack on the back just to get my uh my sympathetic nervous system really really turned on like all right i understand why they're asking it um but i also understand that you need to come down from that right afterwards you know, mm-hmm. I don't want you at that. I don't want you at that elevated state for the whole hour. You right. know, I need you there for just two or three minutes, and then come down off of that. You know, um, there. That's something that's really hard to get people to understand is that they think that that method is effective every single time you do it, mm-hmm. and it 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 has a it has a uh, oh, what's it called a declining trend. Um, yeah. The more you do it, the less your body becomes. Or the more your body becomes adapted to it, and the less your body you get the response from it. You know, um, it, it's it's. So it's something that if you're going to yell and scream, do it sparingly, you know, do it, do it just enough to really cause the response that you're looking for, you know, really get the athlete to their heart rate goes up, their, their, their pulse, their pulse goes up, their breathing rate goes up just for a few minutes, just to do something and then bring them back down. Right. Yeah. They, they become desensitized to that stuff. That's, That's what I've noticed is the athletes that, um, you know, I've never been much of like a scream yell guy, but like I've had my, I've had my few moments where I just flip shit because people aren't listening. And it's like, we cover this <laughs> at the beginning of the session, man. Like, why are you, <laughs> um, and I, I think I only remember like less than a handful of times where you flipped out, but it was more of, uh, was, both times that I remember was men's basketball. Yeah. And then I think the third time would have been like, Men swimming, they were they were being jerks to like some admin people, you know, uh, and some people who like did janitorial type work. So I mean, like, 
they deserved it, right? Like, but I mean, it was uh, those. Anyway, I I see some of these guys who they think that's an effective method, and it's like, well, what's going to happen when it comes time to perform and that's not available? Yeah, no. absolutely. Like you know, like from for the guys I'm with, like you know, tactical dudes, they're not going to be they're not going to be out in the field or whatever and be like, hold on, let me put on my music real quick and like <laughs> I got to do all my prep. Like that's not going to happen. You know, hold so I got I got to get pumped up here. <laughs> yeah. So, um. But yeah, as far as uh, as far as like recovery and whatnot, what are you guys focusing? I know you said you know yoga and, and things like that, but um, have you changed anything there with with athletes? Is there anything you're emphasizing or paying more attention to now? We really try to push nutrition. Um, we now have the the um, fueling station up and running. It's going really well. We've got great grad students out of the dietetics program running it. Uh, Matt Corn right now is our guy. And this guy is, God, he's going to go places. He does a really phenomenal job for us. Um, so nutrition is probably one of the biggest things. Like that's, that's the low hanging fruit that everybody has access to. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'd love kids to get into breathing. I'd love kids to get into daily yoga. I mean, um, you were with me when, when I probably, you probably heard me profess this. Yoga is not exercise. You ever hear me say that? Oh yeah. Oh God, I used to say all the time. And uh, again, like I said, I'm an idiot and I know I'm an idiot, but at least I'm a learning idiot. I'm, a, I'm an idiot that's willing to, to accept when I'm wrong about something and move forward on it. Um, now I, I truly understand. And I, I think with that, I've always had great mobility. I've always, you know, I've, I've never had an issue with any kind of mo- uh, mobility test, any kind of uh, uh, joint range of motion. I've always had great, you know, through all that. And so that could be the reason why I thought yoga was crap. You know, um, now at 46 years old, I look at yoga and go, holy crap, you should do at least 10 to 20 minutes every single day. Your right. body will thank you. You will love yourself so much more. Um, and some of that is meditation. Part of, like, part of the yoga process is meditation. Some of that yoga is breathing process. I think Huberman, Andrew Huberman, you ever listen to his podcast? Yeah, I've started listening to more of his stuff. So I think Huberman just put out a podcast a few weeks ago that talked about how there were some studies done on the breathing process during, um, I didn't, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I just, I, I read a synopsis, synopsis that the breathing process during meditation was found to be as good as the meditation alone. So you just did the breathing and then just did meditation that the breathing process was actually as good as doing like. The, the whole the whole process that makes sense yeah. and so i you know those are things that i would love to get into with my athletes i would love to get better at with my with myself like become more you know more knowledgeable of. all right so little earbuds died on you there but you're saying uh with with yoga um you know even 10 minutes is you know something you're trying to encourage the athletes to do daily right yeah i really do i put i, I ask them to set up a, a routine that they can do either before bed or in the morning, get your body moving. And, and, and I'm not, um, there's a lot of different types of yoga out there and everybody's very particular on their, you know, the ones they like. That's not my point. My point is movement, you know, get your body moving. Uh, we, with athletes, you do all these abrupt movements and then stop, mm-hmm. you know, and so get those joints opened up again, get them moving, get them doing, you know, new stuff. Um, I'm, I am slowly recanting all of the BS I've ever said about yoga and admitting 
that it should be a huge part of, of your training program. I still don't call it exercise. Like people that just do yoga, I really think they should add strength training in, in, in it as well. Um, you don't know the difference between, you know, a, a person that can squat 200 kilos mm-hmm. and can do, you know, you know, give me a, a, a tough yoga pose, you know, is going to be far better than a person that can do a really tough yoga pose, but they have no strength. Like they can produce no power. Does that make sense? And so I, I do think they need to be married together and I don't think they're mutually exclusive. You know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I ask my athletes to do yoga, but the one thing that we focus on with them is the nutrition aspect, getting to eat, getting calories in yourself. Um, we've, so we get Gatorade products, uh, donated to us through Pepsi because we're ball state's a Pepsi school. Um, but I would rather have things that have more fiber, that have more vitamin and mineral profile, better vitamin and mineral profile, you know? Um, and so we go buy fruit, we go buy dried fruit, we buy, you know, we go to Costco and buy things that, that we think have those things in there, you know, and that's, what's great about having the dietitian as well. They can, they can give us that feedback of this is good. This is better. Like, well, let's get better. Let's see what happens. Yeah, that's that's the other thing that I've um, I try to I'm trying to get the nutrition piece added to our our facility because we've got we've got a storage room and mm-hmm. you know money is not as much of a factor. It's just proper allocation of the, those monies. But um, trying to explain to the administration, like for some of these guys, this may be the best, the only meal opportunity they have for vitamins, minerals, nutrients that are, you know, like you take a college kid, the rest of their food may be pizza and beer, depending on the night, you know? Yeah. So, um, really trying to get, get that addressed, but, um, I'm going to hear my dog flip out here in a second. Yeah. I think, uh, wife and kiddos are just getting home. But, uh, yeah, so, um, we're trying to get the nutrition piece. We're trying to get, um, you know, I would like to see, uh, supplementation of, you know, they come in and they get their intra workout nutrition that is enhanced with vitamins, minerals, turmeric, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's coming on down the pipe. It's just taking, taking a minute. Hey, as long as it keeps coming, um, what else do you do as far as recovery goes? Like what are the kind of things I, I, I know that, um, you are really pushing yourself knowledge wise and you're out there talking to a lot of people and reading a lot of books and listening to a, pod, a lot of podcasts. Uh, what kind of things are you doing? What kind of things are you looking for, for, uh, recovery, for training, things like that? Yeah. Um, I've, I read a book, uh, a couple months back called, uh, breath by James Nestor. Um, oh, good book. Yeah, that was good. Uh, another book called uh, "What Doesn't Kill Us," um, you know, and that gets into the Wim Hof stuff, cold exposure, breathing, etc. Um, but I mean, from a recovery standpoint, we have every modality we could ever use, and I just tell the guys like, "Hey, try all of it, um, see what you respond to," and we've got cupping set. Like, regardless of anybody's opinion on it, it's more important as like 
I mean, like even at Ball State, like when you guys had, you guys had that big vibrating plate. <laughs> you know, like some people swore by the vibrating plate, and other people are like, "That's a twenty thousand dollar piece of shit." Yeah, and it doesn't matter what what the science says on it. It matters what the athlete thinks about it. So, um, you know, I'll, I've got a couple scraping tools. It's not Graston, but it's similar. So I'll scrape some guys. We'll do cupping. Um, the PT I work with uh, can do dry needling uh, if cool. he thinks it's appropriate. Um, and then we've got these hyperices that will do heat and vibration. Um, we've got other tools that will do uh, simply vibration, the Norma techs, all, you know, just all the stuff that everybody else has at a, mm-hmm. at a, you know, big institution or whatever. But um, we, we have, and we set aside time for recovery. So uh, I have the luxury of time with my guys where collegiate is, has constraints. You know, I can, I can simply go to the people in charge and say, Hey, can I get, another hour and say, no problem. Yeah. Um, so that's, nice. that's, and I would like, I'd really like to have our sauna work and I would really like to have our, I'd really like to get a cold tub. Um, and then we could do true contrast, but, uh, oh, okay. Let's go. And I actually do want to ask you about the vibrating stuff too. Cause we have the hyper ice, the book, the rollers and the, the massage guns. Yeah. So I want to talk about that, but first let's talk about the, the ice baths and the, the so contrast baths. So heat, heat and ice. Um, when would you use that? Like you don't want to use it right after training. Do you like the ice? No, cause that's going to blunt the hypertrophy effect, right? Yeah. yeah so, um, what we're trying to figure out what's going to work best for our guys as far as, training goes and um uh what i've explained to him is like a point system so uh the point system from bonder chuck and uh isurin where you know they've got a one through five point scale so every training session is either going to be uh restoration retention or development so a restoration is going to be a one a retention is going to be a grade two and then any type of development, depending on the degree of development you do, is going to be a three, four, or five. Mm-hmm. So I'll explain to guys, hey, we're going to do, you know, I want you guys to use up between 15 and 20 points within a week. So, and I'll, I'll, I'll give some rules there. of Those, you may not have back-to-back five-point days. You know, if you do a five-point session, it must be separated by greater than 72 hours because that's straight out of the freaking book of what to do or not to do. So if we have a week where it's, you know, max development of a five on a Monday, max development of a five on a a Friday, then Wednesday is going to be a restoration type day. So that whole day may be recovery modalities and contrast and things of that nature, because they'll still have Thursday to recover from. Uh, If that recovery modality did in fact beat them up. So, um, that's kind of how we'll go about it, but it's a lot of trial by fire. Nothing's perfect. And it's going to have to be dependent on that athlete. How are you basing their, their recovery? Are you in HRV? What are you doing for recovery to, to monitor? Man, I would, I would love to have like some polar chest straps. So, um, when I got there, we, the amount of, (laughs) the amount of shit that we have, it's like just sitting around, no joke. We have some bald force plates that are $20,000 bald force plates that are just sitting in my office. Haven't been used yet. 
I've got a I've got a vault rep who's going to come out here and walk me through everything. But uh, that's that's what I'm talking about. It's like it's just great. So anyway, um, prior to me arriving, there was uh, Whoop. Yep. You know, so all these guys had Whoop bracelets, and I don't think anybody they understood data collection, but I don't think they understood the interpretation of the data. Mm-hmm. So um, then it came end of the year, and Whoop was like, "Okay, well, if you want to re up, it's going to be you know." $30,000 for the year, whatever the fee came out to be. And, you know, the admin kind of looked at that and was like, mm, I don't know about that. So nobody's used a wearable since. But wow. um, down at uh, Special Warfare Development, they have these gigantic television screens. So when they go to do uh, like a conditioning day, for example, they all have these chest straps they'll put on and then they'll that chest strap will correspond to a tv and they will that screen the tv screen will turn red yellow or green okay so like some yeah so depending on similar or something like that yeah something along those lines so depending on what's going on with the athlete they may say Okay. okay you know what screen you're on keep it keep whatever you do in the yellow or keep whatever you do in the green and if it starts changing colors, then you need to adjust accordingly. I would love to get into the weeds on some of that um, and do that with those guys as far as fatigue fatigue management goes. But anyway, super long-winded way just to answer your question. But the, the things that I've found that work best is just a good old-fashioned journal. And, you know, when you wake up in the morning, immediately, like if you think of it, put that beside your bed, immediately check your heart rate. What's that? What's the heart rate looking like day to day? And if we see a great variance in that, one way or another, you know, we know something's going on. Hang on, hang on, just a second. Hmm? Oh, that's great. Okay, hold on. Um, so, uh, so that'll allow for um, us to say, all right, if we see a great variance, like your your waking heart rate is you know forty five or whatever, and you wake up one day and it's seventy five. Okay, what the hell changed to make it jump 30 beats? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll do that. Another thing is uh, I used to have some throwers when I was coaching at another university. Um, we'd take you know, a phone here and we'd do a tap test. Um, they're free, uh, the tap test variations you can download. And mm-hmm. we'd just have them tap their finger and then it would do a five-second collection and then take an average of three three data collections. So then it would spit out an average. You got 52, 49, 53 or whatever. So then that average. So then over time, it becomes increasingly accurate and measures nervous system preparation. Um, but I think that came from super training. Uh, but they used to do it with a, <laughs> with a space bar or mm-hmm. like, a, you know, doing period, like touching the period button or whatever. Yep. Um, so that those two are the, things that I'll use with guys. And then frankly, the third thing is just talking to them about like, Hey, are you excited to be here today? Do you want to train? How's your life? Like all that shit. Um, Because that's, you know, that pars form, the physical activity and readiness scores is huge. And then just what do you use to ask questions? Like what's your gauge? So, um, but yeah, to answer your question, I guess 
there's no wearable that we use right now. Um, and I think Alpin even goes into the wearables are highly, highly variable. So even this watch right here, you know, this thing, I was doing a Stairmaster the other day for half an hour and it said my heart was at 88 beats a minute. And, you know, I'm not in that good of shape. There's no way. (laughs) Yeah. Understood. And there's, I mean, the more we use those, that type of equipment, the better the equipment's going to get. People are going to try to refine it and make it better. So I'm not, Mm -hmm. I agree with what Dr. Galpin says about, you know, Hey, you really need to know your body and listen to your body and do those things. The don't, don't just rely on the wearables as far as your, uh, your training goes. Sometimes you got to push through it when you feel like crap, because you know what, you're going to feel like crap in this game Mm -hmm. and learn how to push through it. So I uh, thoroughly agree with that, but the more we use those wearables, the more, the more popular they become, I think the better they're going to get. I think they're going to, I think those companies are going to keep wanting to help out, help make things, you know, and better, better, better. Um, so let's go back to the massage guns and stuff like that. Yeah, I had an yeah, yeah. Uh, about the vibrating rollers and the massage guns. And he asked, he goes, well, what does this do? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I know you feel better when you use it. And so that's most of why it's here. Um, what's your hypothesis as to what a vibrating foam roller does versus a stack, uh, non, let's call it an analog. roller. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know, um, because I've, I haven't had guys using, like we have all the stuff, like we have lacrosse balls and foam rollers and all of it. Um, but I have tempering tools that I use and. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Got, tempering. Big one now guys. And if you're interested in reading the, one of the only guys I know of who's putting out re- true research about it is a guy named Dr. Christopher Tabor. Um, he's from Sacred Heart University. He's been on my podcast a couple times. Super good dude. And he's putting out, hey, we're gonna take these tempers to D1 football players and see what happens, you know. So um what is he with, he doing biopsies? Is he doing MRIs? No, uh, I don't think he did biopsies. Uh I'll send you when we get done here, I'll I'll send you the link. Uh yeah, thank you. you know, free access. Um, but uh yeah, so with the tempers, the, the <laughs> The messed up part is you can't get away from it. You know, like you just have to take it. But yeah. the with the the foam rolling, you can guard against it. You can kind of tense up. But a temper, you can't run anywhere. And especially, uh, man, there's some wild stuff that we'll do. Uh, and I mean, the, the, I don't think anything I do is definitely nothing new. Definitely yeah. nothing revolutionary. I just look at people who are way smarter than me, and then I cherry pick that and then put it together yeah. and spit it out. But um, like from Donnie Thompson, where where he's talking about the uh, my four year old daughter dropping off a uh, thank you that's great um, okay go go play in your room for a minute thanks um, so where Donnie Thompson is talking about for the QL like you'll have guys yeah. lie on their side and then basically elevate one one leg to neutralize the pelvis and then you'll put a fifty eighty or one hundred ten ten pound temper right in the QL. Oh. And then, then they can suddenly side bend, you know, the degrees of improvement are crazy. Yeah. Um, so we've been doing a lot of stuff with the temper tools and been getting, and then as far as why and how the, the vibrating stuff works or whatever, I don't know. I think some of it's a little more placebo effect at this point, you know, where it's, 
I don't know. It seems kind of like bad, you know? Well, let me throw this out there and yeah. see if, if I'm, I sound like an idiot or borderline uh, crazy person. <laughs> Is not a completely crazy person, just a borderline. Not completely, just borderline crazy. Yeah, like um, one of those, one of those guys. So we were, who is it? So Troy Hirschman, he was the athletic trainer at Ball State. Yeah. Working with, working with basketball. We had a conversation one day about the vibrating foam rollers and uh, the guns. And we were talking about massage and how the use of epilage in a massage is to basically not turn off, but just tone down some of the nerve endings. And so people that are highly sensitive, if you, if you start a massage with epilage, then the, the massage session isn't as painful for them. And mm-hmm. so we were wondering if, so the vibration in the rollers and the vibration in the guns, do you think it could possibly be just a, like it desensitizes this, the uh, superficial nerves just long enough for you to push deeper into a um, massage. So, so like the tempering stuff, you, you can't run from the tempering stuff. I get it. And that's good. Uh, but so, but for self massage, like if you're using a foam roller that, that vibrates, uh, we we came to the hypothesis that maybe it just it desensitizes like an epilogue, those those superficial layers of the nerve endings, and then that allows you to get past this the the sensitivity area of where your, your brain says, hey, this is this is painful, we got to stop this, and allows you to get a little deeper into the the work. I don't know, that was just a thought we had. Yeah, that's that's not a bad thought. I mean, it kind of sounds like a like a preparatory. Um, like a preparatory uh, for the more intense work, you know, almost like what you're talking about with the weight room. This is the same thing for recovery and restoration, you know, because as an example, um, you know, my wife is, uh, she has ADHD and she's like very sensitive to any kind of external touch and stimuli. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I was just to take, if she had a tight forearm, for example, and I put my thumb to work out a knot or forearm, she would she would jump initially because she's so sensitive mm-hmm. but you know so maybe that would be a better approach is take that theragun or vibrating tool and like run it on her forearm for example and then she'd oh okay i can understand that it's not going to kill me it's going to be okay and then i can work into a massage or whatever that way yeah that's yeah i mean that's certainly possible um but uh yeah the the guys we've got the the hyper ice backpacks that have the Normatex and the gun, all that stuff in there. So they, mm-hmm. they don't understand how nice they have it right now, you know, cause yeah. they're going to, they're going to go do other things and go be placed all over the world. And some of the places, I mean, they're going to have a, a gym that's maybe the size of the couch I'm sitting on right now, if yeah. you, call it, you know, but, um, yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah, the big thing is just the consistency aspect, you know, of trying new stuff. And I give them the analogy of it's a buffet. You know, you want to come in and you want to sample a little bit of everything because you don't know what you're going to like. You know, what yeah. if the greatest thing on the earth, on the planet is sitting right over there and you're like, ah, I don't want to try it. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I teach the exercise 420 class. Well, I, I taught it this spring. Okay. I'm teaching it right in the fall. I taught it in fall as well. One of the things I talk about with, those, with the kids in that class is, um, we're talking about squatting, benching, deadlifting, and uh, we're going to get Olympic lifting next this next week. And I was talking about with squats and the you know the big the big debate is obviously high bar, low bar, wide mm-hmm. stance, 
narrow stance and all that. I'm like, well, it depends. <laughs> what feels comfortable for you? You know, like, you try it all out. Try something out. You never know what you're going to find out. Oh, I'm really good at this. And I didn't know that. Like, I had a kid in class. She, we were doing, she says she's a conventional deadlifter. And then we had her do sumo and she's like, wow, oh, this is really comfortable. I'm like, oh, it's your body telling you that, you know, if you're, if your plan is to get strong, here's a great way for you to get strong. You can pick up a lot of weight, you know, if it, if it feels comfortable for you, you know? So yeah, try those different things out. I agree with you. Do the smorgasbord. Um, now, obviously training is, is, uh, there has to be a linear path of, you know, I'm going from point A to point B, but mm. you know, there is no one way. There is no, you know, perfect exercise, perfect, uh, perfect tool, perfect anything. You know, you, you've heard me say now, I love Olympic lifting. I love Olympic lifting. I love lifting. But I don't make all of my athletes lift, lift, Olympic right. lift. I allow those who want to, to definitely do it. You know, mm -hmm. you say you want to do it. We're definitely going to do it. Um, and I encourage those who, who don't truly have a preference, but they, you know, they, they look apprehensive and I'm willing to take months of just working with bar work, just, you know, getting positioning ready. It's not, you know, for Olympic lifting, what I like about it is the, you know, the, the movement quality is really good. You know, you're, mm -hmm. you're getting good range of motions. You're uh, working on speed, you're working on, on loading the body, you know, so there's a lot of good things to it, you know, but it's not a perfect exercise by any stretch of imagination. It's just something, a tool that I like to use. So yeah, get out yeah. there and use those tools. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing is, uh, you know, uh, another couple guys I've had on this podcast was, uh, let's see, uh, Stuart Young, who's a coach at, Kansas University and uh, has a has a team that he coaches online called True Strength Performance and it's all Olympic lifting. Uh, it's an Olympic lifting team. I can't remember uh, Young's level, but he's like a USAW national level coach. I mean, legit, legit good coach. And he, uh, I was asking him about like the trap bar jump shrugs versus Olympic lifts and all this, you know. And, and another guy, Dr. Tim Sukumal. Um, who does all weightlifting derivatives. He very rarely uh, in his research will, I mean, he'll have guys catch bars and things like that, but he's going to go like more high pulls from different positions from hang from blocks, blocks and so on. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I've asked Dr. Sukumal, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about like trap bar jump shrugs or Olympic lifting. What's better. And the smartest guys that I know of keep coming back to, it doesn't, it doesn't freaking matter. It's not black and white. It's a ton of gray that exists yeah. and then using the most appropriate tool for the given situation. And I think a lot of times people get caught up in like, well, I want to have a, I want to have an answer. And there has to be a dichotomy. You're either this or you're that. It's like, man, it's, there's too much going on that we got to consider, yeah. you know, and you know, you may have an athlete front squatting. You may have another one high bar back squatting and so on. But, um, yeah, that's the other part I love about Olympic lifting is it makes you load, it humbles the hell out of you. So it makes you load at such a slow, uh, rate that if you just show up and you do it every day, you're going to get your major stuff done. Yeah. You know, so a it's a bang of, for buck. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's a bang for buck exercise. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you're, you're you're saying that, you know, it, there's a lot of gray, um, this is something that, that, that I've always taken for Dr. Galpin, even when he was at Ball State, it was, 
he always says it depends. Yeah. You know, <laughs> every single question yeah, you ask him, you'll go, well, it depends. <laughs> yep. you know? And he'll go through and explain to you like the, the varying factors that he's aware of and that he's, you know, he can show you, you know, the path to, but even then beyond that, he'll go, and there's probably things I don't know. And so it depends, you know? And so that's, I agree with what you're saying. There's people that get really into, you know, wanting to have the answers, you know, and I tell my coach or I tell my athletes and I even tell my class now, like nobody has all the answers. You can't. I was talking to my men's volleyball team last night. These guys, it's funny, like you throw out a few, few bits of jargon, like anatomy or physiology or stuff like that. And, or you, you can happen to cover several different topics and, and they'll go, Oh man, you're so smart. And like, and I, I tell them like my weight room is 3,400 square feet. And if I gathered all of my knowledge that I was 100% sure of, I could just about fill a teacup. Like it's, it's just so vast. Like there's so much information out there that, that no one has it all. No one really does. And so, you know, to get results, you just have to look at the kids that you're working with or the, you're the clients you're working with and, and get them to do things that you see uh, them get better at. You know, and that doesn't mean that they can't go someplace else and get better as well. That's not what we're saying, you know, and I think that's where the, that, I want to say that's a, the, probably the biggest issue in the field of strength conditioning is everyone thinks that they have to have all this proprietary information about, you know, here's how we do it. Here's our yeah. secrets so like that. I'm like, I hope it's working. That's all. I mean, the bottom line is I hope it's working. Whatever you're doing, just let it work. Yeah. You know, uh, there's lots of different ways to get it done. Yeah, there's, and that's something, you know, when I was doing my graduate assistantship with uh, Kevin Schultz, who's now, he's now the director at uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison, but he was, uh, when I was with him at uh, University of Wisconsin-Lacrosse, and we were talking about programming one day, and he's like, there's a thousand programs out there, and he goes, man, I wish most people would just pick one and work their ass off, but most people don't understand hard work. And yeah. most people don't understand delayed gratification. You know, they, they want everything right now. They don't understand that the, the training they're doing now is going to set them up for harder training later, for harder training later, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, I, I was just reading a book this morning where um, it talked about, uh, it had a quote from Leonardo da Vinci, I believe. And it said, uh, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, man, that's, that's spot on for what I do is just trying to like, Hey, we're just going to do the basics and not trying to be anything fancy. We're just trying to do simple and do simple better, you yeah. know? Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, man, I think we covered it a lot. A lot so I'll go through I hope we got at least a minute's worth of good stuff in there. Yeah. And I, I totally feel to, uh, I meant to include there. I'm, uh, I feel the, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Hey, um, the Dunning-Kruger effect, you know, where you, where you first get into a field and you think you know everything and you're like, oh, this is easy. And then the more people you talk to, the more you read, you're like, I don't know anything. This is, and then every day you show up, you're like, I really don't know. I, I, don't, know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, are you on, uh, are you on any social media or anything like that you want to give out email or anything for people to reach out with questions or what do you if anybody wants to email people? me they can they can uh email me at j roberson so my last name with a j in front of it at bsu.edu um i'm not really on social media i follow a bunch of people but i don't post anything so 
you know, don't look, I, I'm not that smart. So don't, play, <laughs> don't look for answers for me. I'm, I'm, I'm more learning than anything. So, um, I, I'm a consummate learner, but I'm not a, I, I'm not the advisor that people are sometimes look for. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not the front runner in the, the, the Instagram or Twitter, you know, field. So, uh, but if they want to ask me questions, I'd love to, to discuss things, um, and, and, you know, hash things out and find out what they know. And, and if I can, add to their knowledge, that would be great. I'd love to help. 